0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Sadly, this is what home sounds like for many of America's heroes. During this crisis, many veterans are living on the street, sleeping on nothing more than cardboard. You can help. Donate at CardboardToHeadboard.org. Hey there, Fangirl Nation you are listening to Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job podcast. I am your host, Tracy Sandler, and we have a really cool episode today as I am joined by mental performance consultant, Sarah Taylor. Sarah works with athletes to, quote, train their minds to work for them and not against them. She shares a traumatic personal experience that changed her life and put her on her current career path. She gives tangible tools that we can all use daily to focus and achieve our goals while talking about the importance of positive self-talk, the importance of learning from failure, what it's like to work with her husband, San Francisco 49ers wide receiver Trent Taylor, and so, so much more. You don't want to miss this inspiring and mind-changing episode. If you like what you hear, please make sure to leave us a five-star review. And with that, let's get to it. Sarah,
1: thank you so much for joining me today. Forget my job. Tracy, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be talking with you. I love your podcast. Oh, well,
0: thank you so much. And I'm so excited to have you on. I think as we talked a little bit before, one of the things with this podcast is we want to highlight for, you know, mainly young women, but really anybody getting into the sports industry, how many opportunities there are, how many career opportunities there are. And I think what you're doing is is so fantastic. Um, obviously, you guys know that Sarah is a mental performance consultant, and we are going to dive into what that means and all of that. But first, I want to know how you got here. I know that you used to do sports journalism. We've seen you on sidelines and then um, now you're you're doing this. Can you just kind of take us a little bit through your career journey?
1: Yeah, Tracy, it's been so interesting. It's definitely, you know, not your average journey, but I think that's what makes it so fun is everybody has their unique journey to, to ultimately what they want to do. And I think, you know, as a young reporter, I think what sometimes what women can get trapped into is, is thinking that there's only one way to get to where you want to go And I think it's so interesting how, you know, I don't think that's true at all. I think everybody's journey is so individualized and unique. And I think that's part of the fun. So certainly my journey, you know, started, I think like most who work in sports of, I loved sports. That was my whole life. You know, I played pretty much every sport. Um, You know, I grew up with an older brother and sports bonded my family. So um, you know, grew up with just this intense love for sports and, and all things sports. And it's funny, you know, I don't know the age demographic of listeners you get, but back in the day when I was younger, um, <laughs> I had a tape recorder, okay, that had a mic, a little, um, tiny little mic attached. And I would tape uh, take this little tape recorder everywhere I went with me. And I had a fake radio show and I was the host and I would take this thing around and interview people like my neighbors, my family, my brother would have his friends over and he would be so embarrassed because I would try and get them to interview. And it just makes me laugh thinking about it because I I would be like, you know, this is Sarah after dinner. Call in and tell me what you had for dinner. And I I would give my home phone number. Like nobody was listening, but I thought they were, you know. (laughs) So um, I love this. It's it's hilarious because if you know what I'm talking about, like you have to hold down the button to record to Uh to rewind. You know what I mean? Yes, totally. I mean, back in, you know, life was great. So, so that's kind of where the love for the journalism side started. And, you know, I, I just always really had this passion and fondness for deep conversation. And I always was the one asking questions. I love doing, um, you know, I loved speaking in front of people. Um, so all of these things combined really equaled, you know, a sports reporter. Um, You know, and back then I was really blessed and grateful to have, you know, some really incredible women paving the way and making this something that I could even fathom because, you know, if if it weren't for the trailblazers, this wouldn't have even been an idea in my head. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, you know, obviously going through high school, I'm sure you, you experienced similar things of, of, you know, giving, I, I always remember telling people what I wanted to do. And they would laugh at me. And, and specifically, I, I gave a presentation, um, you know, about what I was going to do. And I had a plan of how I was going to do it uh, of being becoming a sports reporter. And I'll never forget, you know, the counselor, the guidance counselor and the teacher sat me down and they said, listen, you're going to come. We need you to come back and re um, represent on, on something more realistic. And I couldn't I believe at such an age someone would tell me that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So obviously that just fired me up because that's kind of the mentality I have of like, okay, doubt me, let's go. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that kind of, you know, so many people telling me I couldn't was was really gave me the push to kind of bite the bullet when the days got tough. And I think that's it, it goes hand in hand in what I do now of when your why is strong enough, you can brace anyhow. You know what I mean. So, so knowing why you want to do something can really propel you um, when the times get tough. Because we know it's not always um, mountaintops. You got to get to. You got to go through the peaks and. uh, Or I'm sorry, you got to go through the valleys to get to the peaks. So, um, you know, I ended up um, getting any internship I could. You know, I moved to Minnesota. I worked with the Vikings. I did all that, and then I graduated. Moved to Alabama. Got a uh, reporter job out there. And then from there, um, you know, nine, about nine months in, I, I got a call from uh, Fox Sports San Diego. And then from there, I spent a, about a year there. And then I went to Fox Sports West and Prime Ticket. And um, it was really when I was with Fox Sports, um, I, that was when I really realized that, um, I, you know, I had really like, Tracy, this was like my dream job. I couldn't believe like this is what I was doing. And mm-hmm. I would come home every single night and I was super unfulfilled. Like couldn't I had no idea what was going on and it really scared me. And so kind of through searching and doing some digging and, and redefining myself, um, you know, I realized that I had this passion to serve. And I, I just felt like in the job that I had then I wasn't able to serve in, in the way that I really had. I guess was longing for <clears throat> mm-hmm. and at the time I was actually, you know, I had, I had experienced a little bit of, um, trauma. I had a, I had a traumatic situation happen where I was, I was on a run, um, you know, at noon in the middle of the day and a stranger who I didn't know came up to me and, um, tasered me and assaulted <gasps> me and tried to actually kidnap me and, and push me into his car. Oh my and God. Again, this is it's kind of you know a, a weird speed bump out of nowhere in my story. But it's it's really it's only important to mention because through that, obviously I sought help and I was working with um, you know, a therapist and, and a mental performance coach. And really they were teaching me psychological skills to to win to get my brain back. You know, I was training my mind and I really cause you know, I was suffering from PTSD and it was just such a traumatic event. And, and through this time working with with my therapist, you know, we were she was teaching me psychological skills and and and, you know, strategies and tools to train my mind. And it changed my life, Tracy. I was not only was my mind, I had overcome my mind and I was in control of my mind. But, you know, I was able to, you know, thrive. I wasn't just living. I was thriving, you know, because I, w- I my mind wasn't getting in my way. If that makes sense, sometimes our mind just really gets in our way and, and tells us these stories that aren't true. So I know it's kind of a bomb to drop on you in this interview, but the really, I, I try and say my story with pride because if it weren't for that really crazy, out of nowhere, traumatic life event, there would be no way that I'm here now doing what I absolutely love, you know, which is teaching others uh, these psychological skills, that changed my life. And again, mm-hmm. I know that it's in a sporting environment and it's a little bit different, but um, you know they're just so applicable and, and then it can really trickle into your everyday life. Um, so they changed the, the psychological skills and training my mind absolutely changed my life. And I would sit there and think, this is what I wanna do. I wanna mm-hmm. help athletes get out of their own way and harness their mind and train their mind to work for them and not against them. So kind of the craziest story in the world. But really, um, you know, I think I think really part of my testimony is like sometimes our darkest, toughest days are really the biggest blessing in disguise, if that makes sense. So that's kind of how I got to right here, right now, literally living my dream job, Um, you know, I get so thrilled to just go to work and do what I love every single day. Well, and
0: that's interesting what you said that sometimes, you know, the darkest times are what propel us forward. Um, And it's incredible you were able to move through that. And also to be able to say, I want to help other people. Like I went through something very scary and terrible, but um, now I'm on the other side of it and how can I help other people? Was it always sports or did you think first that you might go into a different field with psychology
1: you know it was always sports for me just because i i was around these athletes on a daily basis and i could i could see a lot of them struggling because they had no control over their mind and we've all been there it's not just athletes but i had this deep longing desire to work with athletes i felt like it it was something at the time that when I started getting into it, it really hadn't been tapped into. Mm
0: -hmm. And,
1: you know, sports psychology in itself is really a growing field. And in the past several years, it's, you know, it's it's grown immensely. So kind of when I first got into it, it was still something that no one really knew about. We didn't even really know that these jobs existed. So certainly um, it was that passion, again, just to work with these athletes. It, it, it was how I spent my whole career thus far. And I I couldn't imagine working in anything other than sports, even though I was transitioning into psychology, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And you said that one of the things you do is you trained, you train
0: athletes' minds to work for them. And not against them. Can you talk right. a little bit about how you do that, and how you've seen that change for some of your clients when it comes to getting out on the field or, or wherever it is that they play?
1: Absolutely. So, I think where where it can be really tough for a lot of athletes is, you know, our minds. Um, well, first off, just just based on how you know as humans, we're hardwired to scan this world for danger, and that's just what we know about our mind because you know, it's been passed down from our ancestors. Cause at one point, you know, they were hunting and, um, you know, they had to scan for threats. So, you know, in this day and age, luckily we don't have to really scan for the threats that our ancestors once did, but we're still automatically hardwired to find, um, you know, what's bad or what's dangerous or what could go wrong. And that can cause a lot of fear, anxiety, and that can cause a lot of, you know, performance issues. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really just harnessing the mind um, and training the mind to work for you with these basic psychological skills. So things like confidence, confidence is probably the number one thing, Tracy, that I'm working with, with athletes on a, on a weekly basis of if we can, if we can train their confidence and that's, that's my favorite part about confidence is people think you're either born with confidence or that, or you're not. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm here to tell you that confidence is hundred percent, a trainable skill. So working with working with you know individuals on training their confidence, training their focus. You know how are you supposed to f- perform if if you know all these distractions, fear of the future or fear of failure is is creeping into your mind. Um, along with that is is helping them train um, to to live present and to play present. This present moment focus to get these athletes and these individuals in the present moment more often. Um, that's really where life happens in the present moment, and so often there are things, I mean, all day long, there are things, you know, knocking at our, at our door, wanting our attention or yanking for our attention. And really the only thing that's important is what's happening right now in this present moment. Like, you know, I could have a TV on right now and I could be watching a game, but how, how good am I gonna, you know, do in this conversation with you if I'm watching something on TV or I'm getting pulled mm-hmm. by all these distractions? Like my main goal is to be 100% present with you right here in this conversation, Tracy. So things like that. And, you know, training, um, you know, using things that, weapons that we have within us, like our breath, you know, it'd be surprised. So many athletes are surprised at at what the breath can do for you and and how it can help with um, certain anxieties or, you know, fears. Um, So, so, yeah, the, the list goes on and on and on. And there's so many cool things that, that we get to do really on a daily basis and so many cool strategies that are so helpful. But, you know, again, they're just these basic psychological skills that, that can really um, help athletes. And I always tell them, you know, imagine that you have a tool belt and every psychological or mental skill is, is another tool that you're adding to your tool belt. So, you know, you're, you're going to assess the environment. You can pull out whatever tool. Um, you need for when the moment calls for it. So that's kind of you know what what I try and do with them on a daily basis. And you talk about life happens in the present
0: moment. And I really love that and mm-hmm. want to focus on that for a minute because I think especially in today's world with social media and a 24-hour news cycle and everything that's just going on all the time, it's hard to be present. Mm-hmm. You know, Even football, people are watching football games or watching Red Zone because they have fantasy. Yeah. And so they're not focused on, I think, particular. It's just give me my stats and all my, you know, all of those things. So would you be willing to share with us maybe like one tool or one exercise that we could all use to get ourselves focused in the present moment?
1: Absolutely. You know, there's a few different ways and it really, that's kind of too, when I, when I talk to individuals about the mental game, I say, you know, this is totally tailored to you. Um, there's not a one size fit all, when it comes to the mental game or mental strategies, because, um, you know, it could hurt someone to say, well, this, uh, this, this tactic works for someone else. So it should work for you. And if it doesn't, mm-hmm. there's something wrong with you. So again, I just say that because, um, you know, one, one tactic to get into the present moment might work really well for someone and it might not work for somebody else, but I'm going to give you a few kind of strategies that you could start with. So first the, uh, the, the, The number one way that I really stress to help people try and get back into the present moment is the most simplest thing that we have located right inside of us, and that's our breath. The breath serves as a gateway to the present moment. And so many people don't even realize that how powerful the breath is and how if we can really just access this um, and be intentional with it, how powerful it really is in serving as that gateway back to the present moment. So when I say breathing, I mean like we breathe to live every single day. Like I wonder how many breaths I've taken just since I've we've been talking about the breath. But I'm not thinking about it. So really what's important here is if you want to you kind of reset and bring yourself back to the present moment. It's focusing really intentionally on that breath. So sometimes I challenge people like, okay, if you're overwhelmed, sorry, you might be able to hear my dogs. Um if you're All overwhelmed, <laughs> um you know, uh, something start with one really deep breath. So like but but like I always like to like close your eyes and try and like visualize when you're breathing in like Think of the breath going through both of your nostrils, down your throat and you know, down into your lungs, and then maybe hold for a couple of seconds, whatever feels really good to you, and then release. And then as you're releasing, same thing. like visualize your, the ox, the air, leaving your lungs going back up through your throat and then, and then down to through your nostrils. Um, and that is kind of more of that intentional breath. So you're following the air. Um, as it's going in and hold and out. And that helps you really kind of reset. It, it brings, um, you know, oxygen, um, you know, to your mind. And it, and it can really help you, again, just get back to what's important now. And then mm-hmm. as I say, what's important now, you know, that's, that's a phrase that a lot of other, you know, sports psychologists will say is like, um, we call it win. So win stands for what's important now. So you could you could ask yourself or you could say to yourself, like, let's win you know, what's important now. Something else I love is I always tell myself this, and this has really served me of looking, literally looking down at my feet and thinking, Sarah, be where your feet are. And that serves me because I'm really, you know, I find that my mind travels, you know, obviously to the future and to the past and all these different places. And it's just not productive or it's not helping me, um, you know, to the be- do whatever I'm doing in that moment to the best of my ability. Like maybe I really need to be a wife in that moment, or maybe I, you know, there's an individual on the other side of the phone that really needs me in that moment. So, so sometimes I'll just look down at my feet and say to myself, you know, be where your feet are. Or, you know, if we're looking at a performance, uh, someone who's a performer, maybe, maybe that looks like, uh, maybe they have something written on um, their golf ball or maybe their glove or their wrist, or they tape their, they have tape somewhere. Um, You know, I work with a hockey player who tapes his stick and he writes PP on it. And that stands for play present. Um, I've got a few golfers who put, um, you know, PP on their ball, or they put some kind of letter on their ball. And that serves as a reminder. Um, I've got one athlete who will literally pick up grass and let the grass blow out of his hand in the wind and that's kind of his tangible reminder to get back to the now. So again, I'm, I'm listing off all these random different things, but, um, you know, again, you tailor it to what feels best for you, but certainly a great place to start would be the breath, maybe a slogan like "Win," what's important now, or be where your feet are, or maybe it's something tangible that you can see, touch, or feel, um, that serves as some sort of a cue, if that makes sense. So, so there's so many different ways you can go for, uh, you know, with it, but, um, you know, I, I think the breath and, and a slogan like that is some is a really good place to start.
0: You talked about training confidence. Uh, and then I definitely want to talk about your work with your husband, Trent. But first, mm-hmm. you talked about training confidence and, you know, what happened to you in high school and that they said, like, you have to go back and, and do something more realistic, which is just so upsetting that that <laughs> happened. Uh, but how did you at that, you know, at that young of an age and at such like a vulnerable time... How did you go back and say, you know what, like, I, I'm going to do this and I want to do this and I don't really care what these people say?
1: You know, that's a really good, thoughtful question, Tracy, and I think it comes from what I know now in psychology. So it's something I, that we call intrinsic motivation, which means I'm doing it for myself. So there, there's two things in psychology. I don't want to get too scientific here, but um, we've got intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation. So extrinsic, very simple. It's, it's you know, maybe you're doing it to please someone else or for some other reason other than yourself. And intrinsic is you're doing it for yourself. And, you know, the motivation comes from within. You don't need anybody else um, to motivate you. Does that kind of make sense?
0: Yes, Absolutely.
1: So so I think back, you know, reflecting on it, I think back then I had a lot of, you know, intrinsic motivation. I wanted this for myself. I didn't want it because someone else wanted it for me. And I in that way, I was really intrinsically motivated. Um, I think that, you know, if, if we're talking about confidence, I think where sometimes confidence can get a little shaky is oftentimes we look to other people to be our source of confidence. Mm -hmm. And that's all well and good, but that's just not sustainable because, you know, what's going to happen when, um, you know, you're looking for the text from someone, you really, maybe you really need them to kind of give you that boost of confidence and the text never comes. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's where we can get in trouble when we rely too much on other people to feed our confidence and our confidence is just so, so fragile, Tracy. It's, it's one of the most fragile things um, that we must protect and, you know, we really have to be our own source of confidence. So I would say even back at that age, you know, not only was I intrinsically motivated, but, you know, I, I did have this sense of confidence. And, and and part of, too, you know, part of that comes from, you know, how you were raised, certainly. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I kind of was my own source of confidence um, because I was so certain that, you know, if, if I put my mind to this and I really commit my life to this, I know I can do it. Um, so hopefully that answers your question.
0: It does. It absolutely does. And I think that's a really important distinction between the intrinsic and the ex- extrinsic. Did I say that correctly? Mm-hmm.
1: You did. You nailed it's,
0: it. It's super important. I, I've talked on this podcast before, uh, and I think I think it's relevant here, um, I've talked about the book, The Four Agreements and the thing in that book that like mm-hmm. has always really stuck with me. Aside from, I have to say, all of it is stuck with me, but the you can't take anything personally. And I think those two things kind of go in hand hand in hand. It really does have to come from the inside because things even that seem personal are not. And mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. those people saying that to you was really about them and not about you. But it's hard to know that as a teenager oh, yeah. in high school. and it, it is it's hard to know that even, way beyond that. And I think this idea of right. intrinsic confidence is so important uh, and something that mm-hmm. I really want our listeners to, to take to heart and really think about because especially, and i I brought up social media earlier, but in this world of social media with the likes and the comments and the, you know, and the people who say horrible things and then people who right. say nice things, all this stuff, like you have to have a strong inner confidence or it's just a tough world out there.
1: Absolutely. And I think the more that, you know, the more that we can, you know, you know, feed our confidence and water our confidence and protect our confidence, um, the better we are. And, and, you know, so often, again, it's it's that trap of falling into like someone else is looking to someone else for you to fulfill that your worth or your confidence. And I think, you know, as a woman going into sports, like, you know, kind of what your podcast is centered around, I think so many young women can can fall in this trap, like they're seeking um, other people, maybe, um, perhaps whether it's in the industry or other people on, on the internet to tell them that they're worthy or tell them mm-hmm. that they're enough. And, um, you know, it's a slippery slope. And it's such a dangerous trap. Um, because, you know, you, you'll often be pushed to try and conform to something or uh, that you're not or what society says you should be. Um, when really, you know, I think focusing in and working on training that confidence and, and being your own source and supply of confidence um, is the most important part. And and really, that can come from you know a you know doing tough stuff. We're able to train our confidence by really going out and doing difficult things and and, and enduring difficult moments and maybe some adversity. Because um, when we can when we can overcome some adversity or do some difficult things, it allows us to tell ourselves, "I've done that." I've done this before, I can do this again. Or I can I've been through that. I know I can handle this. Um, so then we get some, some positive self-talk and, and some better, uh, more enhanced internal dialogue um, rather than beating ourselves down all the time. And, and that's really kind of a, uh, a confidence sucker is when we're just internally trash talking ourselves all the time and if we're not aware of what we're saying to ourselves we can internally trash talk ourselves all day long and not even know we're doing it so um mm-hmm. i think that would be my other key takeaway is make sure your self talk is is um productive and, and not hurtful you know what i mean mhm
0: i'm actually i'm writing that down because i think that's so important because we are our own harshest critics and yeah. you know it shouldn't it shouldn't be that way and i remember in college you know when we all go through our different things at different times and uh, going through a little bit of a rough patch and not feeling great about myself. And I'll never forget Mm -hmm. my roommate who to this day is a close friend, that I wish like more than anything that I could videotape you through a day and you could Mm -hmm. see how everyone else sees you. Mm. And I like, I I mean, that was years ago and it, it really is. And it, it really stuck with me. And I don't think at the time it had the same, um, effect on me as it does, as it did later. Right. And as it does now, because mm-hmm. I think that's something, if we could all have that, that would probably be so helpful, but it mm-hmm. is making sure that that self-talk is, is productive and good. I think that's yeah. such important advice.
1: Yeah. What a, what a good thing your friend said. And, you know, I like to call that the friend versus foe approach. So like, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes what I'll challenge people to do is, you know, imagine that their best friend or a coworker or a teammate is going through the same thing that they're going through. What would be the advice that you give them? What would you say to them? Likely it's going to be something encouraging, productive and helpful. So then I ask, why aren't we talking to ourselves in the same way? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or sometimes maybe it's like, you got to look at it as like, you know, think of like your 13 year old self or your eight year old self. What would you tell them? it certainly probably wouldn't be the way that you talk to yourself now. So what so, changed yeah. over the course of those years? And and there's no one that says we can't get back to that way. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of athletes struggle with, well, I don't want to talk, you know, I don't want to be too nice to myself because, you know, if I'm hard on myself, um, you know, I do better. And and that can be a trap too. Of course, sometimes, you know, you you, you kind of got to have, you know, be your own motivator and give yourself a kick in the butt. But there's a difference between, um, you know, productive and non-productive self-talk. But it's it's really just comes down to knowing yourself and knowing what works for you. And for a lot of athletes, you know, trash talking yourself isn't helping your confidence, isn't helping, um, you know, you perform in whatever it is that you're doing, uh, whether it's in life or in sport. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, you
0: work very closely uh, with your husband, and, and you've both been pretty open about this. You are married. I mean, you know this, obviously, but in case our, in case, you, in case you didn't know who you were married to, but our, in case our listeners don't know, you're married to Trent Taylor, wide receiver for the San Francisco 49ers. Woo-hoo, go Niners. Yeah. Uh, so that's always, we like that from 49ers fan mm-hmm. girl over here. Uh, no, but uh, Trent went through a very difficult time last year. He had injured his foot, and then there were a variety of things that happened after that, uh, that Mm -hmm. kept him out the entire year. Um, he has talked about, you know, with us in the media about, you know, being at the super bowl and not being able to play in the super bowl. So Mm -hmm. obviously it was, you guys worked together a lot. Can you talk a little bit about that experience and what it was like to be working with someone who I know was not your husband at the time, but obviously was your partner. Um, Mm -hmm. but having to balance those two, two kind of hats.
1: Yeah, you know, I think I think that's an interesting, an interesting topic you bring up, Tracy, because, you know, it really is about balancing two hats. And I think, you know, I've I've gotten a lot better. This is something that I've worked on and I've gotten a lot better at this of like, when is it time to be a wife and when is it time to be, you know, a coach or, or whatever needed? And I think for me, you know, it. it's been through a lot of trial and error of like, well, when does, when does, does my partner just need a wife right now? Because that's what I'm going to show up and be for him. You know, so Mm -hmm. it's all about having the awareness of what does he need from me right now? And I mean, first let me preface it by saying, you know, Trent is, I'm really not even being biased. I mean, he's another breed when it comes to um, you know, the mental game Uh, Mm -hmm. truthfully uh, out of, out of, you know, the a- tons of athletes that i've you know had uh you know that've had the privilege to spend time with um he really is one of a kind in in so many different ways and obviously he's a professional athlete so he's got to be different um you know mentally you know he's got to have some mental fortitude but um you know he's just so mentally tough and and when we say mentally tough often people think of like oh he can withstand a lot of uh, he can stand a, a big beating. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's right. When we think <laughs> mentally tough. That's what we think. But no, no mental toughness to me is in, in really, if you dig deep, it's really um, not too high on the highs and not too low on the lows. It's a consistent performer. Okay. And, mm-hmm. and that's really what he is. And not just a, in his performance, but in his day-to-day life, I've never met someone who's more consistent than Trent a- in my entire life. I mean, that man, anything that gets me upset or get, gets me rolling, I mean, he doesn't even blink an eye. And really, he's provided me with a lot of um, perspective. And he's just so so dialed in that way. So I think when he was going through his tough stuff, I think it was really last year, you know, his injury, it, it was a really tough time. And I think, honestly, I, I at some point, I think I was maybe taking it harder than he was. And, and not to say that he – he would have done anything to be out there playing with his guys, Mm -hmm. especially, you know, having, having the year they had and, and how much love he has for every single member on that team. I mean, he, he would have given his leg to be out there. Um, you know, so, so in that sense, obviously it was so tough for him, but he was so consistent with, you know what, this is out of my control and, um, you know, whining about it or you know being sad about it isn't going to change anything. So I'm just going to accept it, and you know, really, I'm never f- going to forget this feeling. And um, I-, I just really admired his ability to do that. So, you know, when 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 I when I came in and and you know we would we would be together, I would I would say, you know. You know, we, we learn a lot of a, a lot of research and, and we're, we're diving into different tactics of what works in sports psychology. And, and um, you know, I was in this class, S-S-S- the psychology of injury. So it actually was perfect timing because it really matched up. Um, I was in that class when Trent got his injury. So I was taking, you know, the latest research and the latest little tactics we would learn and, and I would apply it. And I mean, he was so gung ho with everything because you know he supports me and what I do, and he believes that the mental game is is a huge part, you know, of um, you know football. So uh, I think I think I would say his favorite thing that we did was visualization or imagery, as some people might know it. And really, what that is is like um, this is probably one of the f- most favorite things most of the athletes I work with. Um, they they all enjoy it it seems and and they've a lot of them have you know said this has been a real game changer in 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 their game and their preparation so you know visual visualization is really like closing your eyes and imagining um you know creating a really well imagined event and really the trick with that is if we can incorporate all five senses you know touch, feel, smell, taste, um, those things, if we can incorporate that, um, our brain doesn't really know the difference between a well-imagined event and a real one. So mm-hmm. where visualization comes in is, you know, he's out there, if he's visualizing himself getting reps at practice and he's doing it really well and he's, it's a well-thought-of and well-imagined event, his brain really doesn't know the difference and his brain thinks he's out there getting those reps. So it's a really good tactic, not only for for athletes, because they can be in bed and they can be getting reps and saving some wear and tear on their body, but Mm -hmm. it's also really good for injured athletes because a lot of injured athletes really struggle because they can't even do anything. Like Trent wasn't even able to leave the couch. He had a pick line in his arm. So, I mean, you can imagine going out, you know, every day and playing football and, and the game that you love and competing at the highest level to then sitting on your couch Not even being able to leave because risk of infection. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's crazy. So visualization provides the opportunity to kind of go out there and still be living it in some sense. So we did a lot of visualization. We did some healing imagery and visualization. So um he would, I would lead him through a script of um you know, taking him through imagining his bone healing and almost as if there's like some concrete filling his foot. Um, So it feels strong and sturdy and, um, you know, visualizing the ligaments and all that healing and and, and every part of it. So it can sound really weird to someone who hasn't had any experience with it. But, you know, there's the research that backs imagery and visualization is quite incredible. And it. Um, you know, again, I'm here to tell you that majority of the athletes that I work with, well, all of them, they all visualize and they all have had some kind of feedback to where um, it is, you know, positively impacted their game in some way, shape or form. So that was really what we focused on, um, you know, and, and that was what he really enjoyed the most. So that was kind of um, was a lot of our work together was doing some visualization.
0: And it sounds like visualization really is something that anyone can do no matter what field they're in.
1: Absolutely. You know what? And that's and that's my favorite thing to tell people. You know, I was on a call with, um, you know, this professional golfer that I work with, and he was telling me, you know, how he has this huge fear of public speaking. And I was like, well, why don't you, you know, do some visualization? So like, if you had a fear of, of public speaking, or maybe let's say you had a really big, um, uh, you know, sales pitch to give, you can close your eyes and, uh, you know give the sales pitch you know through and imagine it you know visualize be there go there incorporate those five sense, senses and um you know visualize how you want it to go visualize yourself um you know executing flawlessly but then mm-hmm. what I also say like you can do it you could do it in any in you know in any realm of life that you wanted but also I say you know, with performers and or individuals, like visualize a little bit of adversity, like things, cause you know, we know in life and in sport, things are certainly not always going to go your way. So visualize, visualize some challenges and visualize yourself responding flawlessly. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That's a great idea. Yeah. So, so Tracy, I mean, this could, this could be something that you go and do for, for whatever it is that you want to work on. Let's say you want to work on, um, you know, a specific category of your life, you close your eyes, spend some time. I would spend 15 to 20 minutes visualizing how you want it to go. And again, you're training your mind to think that you have these reps. And then when you get in that situation, there's, you know, you're feeling more confident, more prepared because your mind's telling you, hey, I've been here before. I've seen this before. I'm going to be okay. This isn't a threat. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's, that's fantastic. That's super such a good... In- It's really interesting, and there are so many good
0: takeaways that our listeners are going to be able to use, and I I love giving people something
1: tangible that they can really work on. I know. I, I can tend to talk on and on and on about it, so hopefully I'm not spitting too much out, but it's just so interesting to me. You know what I mean? I really am in love with it.
0: Oh, absolutely. And you're definitely not spitting too much out. I, I can assure you. I think it's I've, it's fantastic. Uh, and it's something that I'm going to start incorporating now uh, into my life because I think it's, um, it's very cool. And I'm glad you gave the amount of time because I think a lot of times we can hear about visualization and people can like close their eyes like, okay, I see it mm-hmm. and they move on. But mm-hmm. it makes sense. You got to dedicate like a fair amount of time, 15 to 20 minutes is it's a fair amount of time right. in your day, but I think very important, but I, I'm glad that you kind of gave that time frame because I think it's also something people don't know. How long do I do this for?
1: Right. Right. And I think, you know, the one thing I challenge a lot of my athletes to do, and this is something where, you know, any listener could go do this tomorrow. Why don't you try it in the shower? Because, you know, in the shower, we're often, you know, we've got to stand there anyway. So why don't we get those reps in while we're showering or, you know, before bed can be kind of fun. Because again, nobody knows what you're visualizing. So make it fun. That's what I always say. Play mm-hmm. around with it. And if you want to visualize yourself crushing a sales pitch, do it. You know what I mean? And, and uh-huh. really go there and, and have fun with it. It's it's such a fun, cool experience. So so make it that way, you know?
0: Absolutely. I, I love that. I'm, I, think <laughs> it, I think that's really cool. And it's a good thing to do on planes. I mean, there's so many places to do this and no one... And no one would know you're doing it. Well, that's yeah. That's you know better than anybody the plane situation. That's perfect. Yep. The, the sure do. Sure do. A lot of time. A <laughs> lot of time on airplanes. Yeah. Um, yep. As as you look back on your career, and I, you did talk about what happened in high school, but I'm wondering if there was any other point once you did start working that you received a criticism that was very hard for you to take but it helped to shape who you are. And I ask all of our guests this because for a number of reasons. One, I think it's important for everybody to understand that we all get criticized, that it's not Mm -hmm. necessarily a bad thing, that sometimes there's constructive criticism, but then there's also not, I was going to say unconstructive, I don't know if that's the right term, (laughs) criticism. And it goes a little bit back to what you were saying about the intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm just wondering if there's anything that happened once you got going in your career um,
1: in that way. You know, that's a great question. And I would start by saying this, first of all, tons of criticism. I mean, especially think of it, like, as you're first starting in, you know, reporting or sports reporting, or the, let's just say television industry as it is. I mean, I got criticism from people who I didn't ask for crit- criticism from on the uh-huh. internet. You know what I mean? Right. And, and anybody can experience that. It's like, well, I, I didn't ask you, but thanks anyways. Um, but I think that's where I think the biggest thing that helped me with criticism, and I can get into some specific criticism, but I think first the the biggest thing that helped me was a Marine told me this. One of my friends who was in the Marines, he said, Sarah, you've got to figure out who's of rank in your life for their criticism to matter. And oh, I love that. I loved that. And I mean I still think of that to this day, Tracy, because when I start to get bogged down by something someone has told me, I automatically, first thing I think to myself is, are they of rank in your life for their criticism or their opinion to mean something? And you really have to first, first you have to figure out who is of rank. Like maybe mm-hmm. you have five people who are of rank. And, and when I mean rank, it's just five solid people who you trust. Who, if they're gonna, if they're gonna give you some feedback or some criticism, you know, it's something that, um, you know, you're gonna maybe consider. So, you know, I always, and he recommended, he's like, come up with five people. So, you know, I did, I made that list, and anyone outside of that who was giving me criticism or feedback of some sort, you know. I would, again, I would consider their criticism or feedback, but ask myself, if I didn't feel it was productive, I would ask myself, are they of rank to make you feel upset right now based on how they said you looked or how they said you spoke, whatever, you know? So I think coming up with, with that idea of like, well, you know, have your solid five and then, you know, anyone outside of that, they really, it doesn't matter. Their opinion doesn't matter. Okay, mm-hmm. So but I would say when I say criticism, I love feedback and, and criticism's tough for me because I felt like I got a lot of criticism back in the day when when I was on television because that's just how it goes. But I mm-hmm. think nowadays, I ask for feedback. So I think if we can change our relationship with criticism and look reframe it to something more of like, I want some feedback here, and again, only from the people who, you know, are ranked to tell you or uh-huh. to give you some feedback. I think it can be a positive reframe. So anytime I work with with a team or, um, you know, I was talking to a GM the other day, I asked him, I said, do you have any feedback for me? Um, and, and I think that's really helpful because, again, um, if you're always looking for, for ways to level up or, or become 1% better, I think feedback's helpful. But I mm-hmm. think, you I know... Agree. So I think maybe reframing and asking that way. But in terms of criticism I've gotten, you know, I think that maybe you've asked – did you ask like maybe shaped my, my future in a positive way? Well, that it was tough to take at the
0: time, mm. but kind of helped to shape who you are today. And that could be yeah. a couple of ways. It could have been tough to take because it was completely invalid and unfair um, and, and really just like mean for the sake of being mean, but, made, but kind of that was a lesson in itself. Kind of what you're talking mm-hmm. yeah. about la- now about the, the rank, or it could have been something that at the time was very valid but but hard to hear, but helped mm. to kind of shape okay. you now.
1: Yeah, so you know what that that's great. Something comes up off the top of my head, and that was, um, it was when I was a young reporter, and it was a friend. It, it was an older friend of mine. Um, mm-hmm. I kept talking about where you know my end goal of, you know, I want to be at this network at this stage of my life. And this is what I want to do and all this. And I talk, I spoke like that since I was in high school. And since I was in college, I always wanted to be somewhere other than where I really was. And I was always looking to the future. And I always had all these big plans and all these things I wanted to accomplish. And this person sat me down and said, listen, Sarah, I mean, Tracy, this is like the, uh, maybe the one best piece of advice I think I've ever gotten in my entire life. Oh, excellent. They said, they said, listen, don't be in such a rush to get to where you think you want to be that you miss out on the most important parts along the way because you'll, you'll get to the top or where you want to be or that network or that dream job and you'll realize it's pretty lonely. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it still brings me chills. Like I have chills because first of all, And I can tell you what it means to me now, but back then I was like, whoa, that's actually profound because I was living my life in fast forward. I was Mm -hmm. on to the next. I wasn't even present at all. In my younger years, I don't know that I was ever present because I was always thinking about where I want to be next. And um, I started realizing, you know, when I started taking this advice and trying to live a more present life, I started realizing that the most beautiful moments only happened in the present moment when I was fully absorbed in each moment. And that was things like uh, the people you meet along the way. Uh, Mm -hmm. I've met some of the coolest people in the world just by striking up conversation um, with someone that I probably wouldn't have even noticed if I wasn't present. And, um, you know, I think that's just, it just was such a profound moment for me because again, we always think, you know, we think we want to be somewhere and then again, you can get there and it's really lonely because you never connected with anyone along the way or you missed out on some of the really incredible moments along the way. And I still think about this on a day-to-day, like the other day I was walking into Target and I was thinking about all the things I needed to do that day. And this man handed me a cart and he said, hi, thanks for coming to, or thanks for choosing Target today. It's nice to see you. And I mean, I am not an emotional person, but I teared up because I thought to myself, you would have, if you hadn't been in this moment, you would have missed out on what this man just said to you. Like nobody ever greets me when I come into Target. I thought it was so sweet. It and really sweet. Yeah. When I like had this epiphany moment. I was like, Sarah you know what I mean? Just be here, be where you are. Like, even if it's just at target, like be here, you never know what you're going to see. And like this man, it just, he served, you know, he just served at this as this really incredible reminder for me. So it's something that Tracy, let me tell you, I work on, on a daily basis, but again, getting in that present moment, let's just being, totally present and absor- absorbed in, in whatever moment you're in right now, because there's so many beautiful unfolding things that only happen and only come about in the present moment. So mm-hmm. I think, and again, it, it felt like tough criticism at the time, but again, if, if, and I, I could have turned my back and said, yeah, whatever. But thank God that it resonated with me and it really was something that totally changed the trajectory of my life. So I love where you're going with this of yes, criticism, or if you want to look at it like feedback, feedback or criticism, you know, they can both, uh, you know, help or hurt you. Um, it's however you decide, um, you know, to filter or to take it or to apply it, um, but you're right. It's it's kind of deciding, you know, is this criticism or feedback helpful or hurtful to me right now? And sometimes we got to step outside of our ego and say, yeah, I did need to hear this. This this one hurts a little bit, but I needed to hear this, you know?
0: And I think that's important. And I think it it's hard, especially when you are first starting out and and you want to do well and you want to be right and, and you want to do everything perfectly. Um, but I think there's something to being said for being present in that moment to receive that feedback yeah. <laughs> or or yeah. constructive criticism or whatever you want to call it because uh, I think you know, that we learn most of the time, and it sounds very cliche, but it's true, but most of the time we learn is in the failures or mm-hmm. in the mistakes oh, yeah. or the oh, missteps. Yeah. And I think it's important, uh, especially for people to start just starting out in their career to remember that that's okay you're allowed to make mistakes, you know, it, it, it's all going to be okay, but that is what you're going to learn the most. And so being present in the moment to learn it.
1: Absolutely. And, and I love what you're saying here because failure is one of my favorite things to promote because again, it's redefining failure. Failure is the most important recipe for success. There's no way you can go out and do um, whatever it is that you want to do the, to the highest level um, unless you've experienced some failure or you've made some mistakes. Um, granted, yeah, you, you kind of want to be learning from your mistakes and try not to make the same mistake twice. But how would you know if you didn't fail along the way? Think of the best in the world a- in every um, category of life. They've all failed immensely. But mm-hmm. I-, I love what you're saying there. And, and you've got to almost like I encourage people to set up ways to fail on a daily basis because you're going to get better as long as you're learning, you know. I think
0: that is 100% true and, and such important advice and another key takeaway people can take um, <laughs> from this podcast. Uh, so I have one more question before we get into five fun facts, and that oh, is, and maybe you've kind of answered it, but I think it I'd be interested to hear, is there a misstep that you see frequently women making as they embark on a career in the sports industry?
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. hmm So good. So good, Tracy. Yeah. And that would be conforming. Um, I think something that I and I had to learn this, you know, in, in brutal ways, but I think it's so easy to try and conform to what society says we should be or wants us to be. And mm-hmm. we're so fearful to live this authentic life. And You know, I had to, again, like I said, I really had to learn this lesson myself, but I see this all the time with women getting into sports and, um, you know, sometimes, you know, some women, some younger girls will call me and ask me for advice in in certain things and, um, or or do, you know, class projects. and, And I always tell them, you know, get clear on who you are, get clear on your values, get clear on your mission or your purpose or your why and 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 really do the really tough work to figure out who you are not who your friend wants you to be or who instagram wants you to be or who your boyfriend wants you to be but who are you and mm-hmm. again it's it's not always easy and it takes a lot of time sometimes to really figure out who it is that you are what makes you happy um how do you want to live your life? How do you want to be remembered? Um, you know, what do you value? What are what's your mission? Um, as I said, you know, I think if you can get really clear on that, and you know, pledge to yourself that I'm gonna live in alignment with these things, um, I think then you know you can you can soar in whatever it is that you want to do. But I think there's so much pressure to be something. Um, maybe that were not. And mm-hmm. I found myself falling in this trap when I was younger of there were people who I really admired. So I tried to be them. Like uh uh-huh. full blown tried to act like them, talk like them, dress like them, like like there were sports reporters that I really admired and I would try and be them. And you know, you flunk that way because that's not you. And so you have to really get clear. So, I mean, it took me a long time to really figure out, well, who is Sarah Chafee and yeah, before Sarah Taylor, but who is Sarah Chafee and, and, and really defining that. And I think that can help combat, you know, that, that need or that heavy, that heavy weight to feel like we have to be something that we're not. Um, just to fit in or to succeed in whatever it is that we're doing, whether it's sports or life, you know, and again, in in the sports world, I think there's that extra pressure, especially on women to be a certain way. Like, we don't want you to be too girly. We want you to be a little Mm -hmm. bit of a tomboy. Like I, I struggled with that too, as you know, in, in my role now with a mental performance coach of like, well, does this mean that I have to be, you know, tough, rugged, you know, tomboy, like I am a tomboy, but don't get me wrong. I like nice shoes and I like to put together a nice outfit too. And you know what I learned is absolutely I can be whatever I want to be as long as it's living in alignment to who, to who I am. And, and if I'm pledging to be authentic to myself and really not grasping to try and be someone else, then I can do whatever I want. You know what I mean? So I think that's a a mistake that I see or, or something that, you know, Certainly a pressure that I see women falling into or young girls falling into, but it doesn't have to be that way, but it does take a little bit of internal work, but I promise you it's worth it,
0: you know? And that is why and how Fangirl Sports Network was created was I wanted to create a place for female fans to feel empowered in however they wanted to be fans. They wanted to be fans that knew every single stat of every player and could analyze, but also or it could, you know, go down deep analysis, but also wanted to look cute on game day, that that was fine, that it didn't have to be one or the other because they felt there was, it was too often right. you either, people assumed you were this like intense tomboy or a very quote unquote girly girl who didn't know the difference between a field goal and a three pointer. Right. And, right. um, and that's why it was created. And it's something We've really, you know, striv- striven for. We strive for. We strive for. <laughs> so we whatever strive for you it. want, whatever whatever, whatever, whatever you want we, to call it, <laughs> but we strive for that so that female fans have a place where they feel completely just. They should feel comfortable being whatever kind of fan they are, no matter what. But we wanted to highlight women in sports, highlight female fans, and create content for women like you, like me, um, and all you know, female sports fans, so that they could feel empowered. So it's great to hear you say that.
1: That's so good, Tracy. And I think one of my favorite parts about everything you just said was that's, that's your full blown mission right there. And first of all, A, I love that you can just say your mission, you know, right off the bat, I think you're clear on your mission. And think of when we're clear on our mission and what we're doing and able to state it out like that, um, you know, people, then it, it resonates with people. So I I absolutely love that and that that totally resonates with me and I love what you're doing and I think it's so important and I think that, you know, I love – I just love that you're so clear on your mission and and that resonates with people and that's why you've done so well. You know what I mean? So I I think that's a big bravo. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) Um,
0: This has been – this has been so awesome and so fun and I have like so many – so I have so many notes on my page right now that it's really, that. Um, it, it's really fantastic. So I want to thank you. But before I let you go, we of course have to do five fun facts, which you of all people know uh, I do with the 49 oh, yeah. players. And um, in fact, I think Trent's probably due for a new one. The last one we did with Trent, George interviewed him for five fun facts about him. Uh, yeah. You so got to get in there.
1: I, I need that man to be doing more interviews. He, he, yeah. uh, he gets shy. Well, then we, I, we,
0: then there'll be a five fun facts in his future. Don't you yes, worry about that. So I'm on top of that. Um, but on this podcast, okay. we ask everybody the same five questions every week because it's so fun that we get such different answers. So, uh, without further ado, five fun facts with Sarah Taylor. Oh. Sarah, what is your favorite moment in sports?
1: My favorite moment in, in sports would have to be the 1999 um, Super Bowl um, with the Titans versus the Rams where Titans lost by literally a yard um, back then, you know, in the nineties, I was a, you know, diehard Titans fan. And, and that was solely because of Steve McNair and Eddie George. And I just, I, I was just obsessed with the duo and, um, you know, it it was heartbreaking. Uh, it it was a heartbreaking loss, but it it still was my favorite moment because they were there and, uh, it's been a, you know, rough road since then, but we're, I think we're due to go back, uh, here shortly. Um, looking good. I would say so. I'd say, uh, it could be in the next few
0: months. TBD. I think so too. I think so too. It's, It's definite possibility. For sure. What is your, what is your life motto?
1: My life motto is to brighten the world by ref- by reflecting who Jesus Christ is, and that's really just my purpose and my why. And I, I you know, try and live by that. I, I don't always succeed a lot of my days, but it's it's at the forefront of my of my mind, and it's it is my life motto. What is your go to workout? This one's a little tough because I love weight training, but okay. I I do marathons, so. You know, when I'm running marathons or training for marathons, I don't have I don't have as much time to do the weight training that that I usually do on on my usual um day to day, but so I think maybe a combo between weight training and running, anything where, you know, I can have some some girlfriends and we can have some fun while we're doing it. I can I can work out pretty much anyway as long as as long as uh, I've got my girlfriends there. Go-to coffee order. Oat milk latte. Uh, hot or cold. (laughs) And a book every woman should read. This is a toughie because um, there's so many good books. Gosh, this one's a tough one for me. I would say for for every woman, yeah, because I, gosh, I've got so many good books, Tracy. Um, (laughs) Every woman, let's- Everyone has a hard time with this one. Yeah, I'm gonna really try and capitalize on on what every woman should read. So I would say the next right thing by Emily Freeman, and really that's just a book like we talked a lot about getting into the present moment. It's a book, um, it's a really good best selling book, um, and it kind of gets you to to sit quiet as you're reading this and kind of helps you make decisions so so maybe if if you're at a place in life where you're having a hard time making a decision on what the next right thing is for you um i think this book would be a really good place to start so yeah it's um easy chapters and she really gets you to kind of sit be still and um you know really make the best decision for the next right thing for you if that makes sense
0: it does. It does make sense. Sarah, thank you so much. This was just fantastic. Um, and I just, I loved having you on today. So thank you for joining me.
1: Tracy, thanks for having me. I had a blast and I got better for sure. So thank you. Absolutely. And if you guys liked what you heard,
0: which I know you did, please make sure to leave us a five star review. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. We'll talk to everybody next week. Bye, y'all. Sports Opinions with a Side
1: of Satire. We're the
0: First and Tens, a weekly show delivering the spiciest opinions on football, life, and especially each other.
1: And we can do that because we've been best friends for so long. I'm Amy.
0: And I'm Jasmine. First and Tens will bring you sports from the female perspective while also injecting pop culture, fashion, and music into our daring dialogue.
1: We're saucy, edgy, and most of all, we, we think, think we're funny AF. AF. First and Tens, light on stats, heavy on sass. Follow
0: us at firstintenspodcast.com.